1: All right, today's guest on the A-Game podcast is Sarah Brownbelt, father, family man, musical inspiration, uh, computer tech graduate, and of course, bass player for Taking Back Sunday, Sean Cooper. Hello, Sean Cooper. Hello, Nick LaMagna. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I get to uh, have a nice conversation with one of my oldest best friends today, so I'm pretty excited about that. Where are you today? I am in Chicago right now. Uh-huh. New office. Nice. Not a great shot of it. It's just a door right there. But there's <laughs> so kind of pre moving in so I can get more done. So uh okay. yeah. should be pretty good. New new phase, new stuff, you know what I'm saying? Really? And uh and you I suppose are not on tour, you're home in lovely Long Island, New York? The best, yeah. Beautiful
0: day. Huh? Hanging with the kids. Took a little jog on the boardwalk today. Everything's great, yeah.
1: Very nice. I like it now. I know we tried to do a couple of these with Mark and we really just kind of got nowhere with it. We wound up just going in circles and it's fun. But um, I know like multiple times throughout so Adam Mark would be like, who is going to ever listen to this? So I figured I'd, I'd try a new professional approach for the people that don't know you on the level that I know you. So they can get yes. to know a little bit more about Sean Cooper.
0: All right. There's not much to know, but I'll do the best That's I
1: can. True. True. All right. So one of the first things I wanted to kind of bring up is you're obviously home now. Yes. So life has changed a lot. So I used to go to school in Albany and then we would drive over to Worcester to go see you guys play at the Palladium where Dan Simler's gym is now. That would have been good back Mm -hmm. then. But um, I remember it used to be crazy. We would go backstage and we would go out to bars and there would be like all kinds of fun stuff in the dressing room. and We'd all just go out and kind of party and be young and stupid. And now when we go to your shows and we go backstage, everybody's kind of napping and changing diapers and stuff like that. So I just think it's really interesting to see. And I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about just the whole progression of tour life, how it was, because you guys just did a 20-year reunion and you were obviously in bands even before that. Sure. So, I mean, you've been doing music as long as I've known you. And I know you since you were like, what, four or five years old. Yeah. Um, So just talk a little bit about how life's changed on the road for Sean Cooper from being a young party animal to kind of being a dad and just the whole environment as a whole?
0: Well, when the thing first started, you know, I never thought I'd be in a band that left Long Island. Then you start touring and you start being surrounded by people and stuff and the beer is free. So (laughs) you might as well indulge. And then you start making all these friends in all these different places. Like when we first started touring, Adam would literally ask on stage like, hey, do you have anywhere we can sleep tonight? Because we're gonna sleep in the van. And then people would offer up their places, which is really, really cool. This a world I didn't know because on Long Island, it's too expensive to move out when you're 18, 19 years old. But in the South, you could wait tables and you could have a job that would afford that, or you could go to school and work a job and, you know, your rent's like 500 bucks a month or something. So you get a couple people in an apartment, you're good to go. So we ran into that a lot in the South. And like, um, yeah, things get pretty crazy. You're partying with strangers, the booze makes it easier to talk and stuff. And, uh, we did that for a whole lot of years, and you start getting older, and things start getting it, it's just boring. So we grew out of it. All met our wives and stuff, and the there's now now the parties are like there's a time and place for it, but it's not. It, it's not like a party every night usually.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, I mean it's funny you just say it like that because I did forget that it used to be like drink tickets, and it was if you got drink tickets or there was any alcohol that was free, that was you had to drink all of it all the time. Even like if there's food, you have to eat it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess it was like uh, a scarcity kind of thing. You didn't, you never wanted to run out, so you better finish everything. But yeah, like there'd <laughs> be a, a case of beer backstage and you get a hundred bucks. I'd get you gas to the next town and you're set.
1: Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of how I was with uh, flying when I first started flying around everywhere mm-hmm. and they would give me free stuff. I'd be like, there's a free turkey sandwich. And my friends would be like, yeah, but it sucks. I'd be like, but it's free turkey sandwich. And yeah. I'm going to stay up all night on the red right, eye because I'm getting my free sandwich. And like now yeah. I'm like, just falling asleep as soon as you get it so yeah. it's interesting as time change but so now fast forward to you guys all kind of being family men and i assume you know getting older i get hung over way easier so it's just not yeah. as i literally can't party like that all the time but you know i know it still goes on so as far as you going on tour and kind of hanging out and with all these other bands most of the bands i would assume that you tour well i guess i shouldn't assume that but there's a lot of bands that i saw you guys come up with like um now, I know you used to play with like My Chemical Romance all the time and um, Yellow Card and all those kinds of bands. So I feel like a lot of them are probably similar places in life to you. So is there still times that you're taking new bands out on the road and it's all new to them and they're excited to be the opening band for Take Back Sunday and they just want to rage and party and go crazy? And how do you balance that out and politely... Turn them down or not you know what i mean because it might be like oh they're big you know it's probably a-
0: Well, personally i think i bum a lot of people out <laughs> <laughs> like where is that guy was he What's he watching jujitsu videos in the backstage room again like he's not hanging out what's the deal so like i try and like hang out maybe once twice a week or something you know i'll, I'll have some drinks at the show but as far as going out like i don't want to go out on a weekend i can't stand a crowded bar we got a tuesday night and the next day's off or something okay we're gonna we're gonna hang out we're gonna bond but yeah we were just out with this band red city radio who are a bit younger and stuff they've toured their butts off and put out a, a lot of great records and stuff so they've been around the block but those guys those guys go for it and i would just pick my moments to hang and i would watch their band every night we'd bullshit throughout the day and stuff we'd run into each other and have a good time but as far as going out like i'd pick my moments Like so we had a good night out in cleveland one time Uh, John's wife was out it was her birthday like everyone kind of partied and stuff so like I just kind of pick my spots a little bit better and as the years have gone on like I took two years off not drinking at all and I was a hermit but I enjoyed that I played video games on my laptop and stuff but I wasn't very social so I had to like I'm trying to find the balance of being able to hang with people but still keeping my wits about me because like you know I want to be able to wake up and call my wife and kids and be totally present in their lives if I have to be away. I don't want to be hungover and like, oh, this is such a drag being on the phone at the FaceTime. Like, you don't want to be the dickhead parent who's bummed out to be talking to your kid who you haven't seen in six <laughs> weeks. Like, that's not cool. So, you know, uh, Jamie knows, my wife, that, you know, we're going to have our nights where we have our fun. But, um, you know, I'm going to be in bed by a certain hour and going to wake up feeling okay. Nice. Yeah, so it's all about balance.
1: How is touring different now that you have kids at home or how it's going on the road. Um, I, I, cause I figured the experience is probably a lot different. Whereas you're young, you're single new cities, new places, and then it starts to become, you know, probably something you're used to. And then, uh, you know, with me again, there's a little bit of a shift. Like when I'm not on the road, I'm like, man, I kind of get in the itch to go away. I'm in one place too long. But then when you're gone too long, you're homesick. But you know, now having kids and, and yeah. you know, a place, I'm sure that there's a lot more to keep you at home. So, um just what's what's the mentality? Because I know I one of the things I really appreciate about you and, and Mr. Mark O'Connell yes. is I meet a lot of people that just assume that they're going to kill it. They just assume that they're awesome. Everybody's going to love them. Every song they play is going to be amazing. Every deal they do is going to be a home run like they can't lose. And then they wind up like losing everything. And they never really appreciated it for what it was. And I know, I think we, you and me have talked about this, but I loved when uh, Henry Rollins was talking about Ozzy Osbourne yeah he was like yeah he called me in and was like hey is anybody even out there and he was like yeah there's like 60,000 people here he's like every night I'm afraid nobody's going to show up but I feel like that's kind of what keeps them great you know what I mean sure. is when this could go away I always have to work for it I always have to appreciate it so I know you do appreciate your fans right. and your like all the things you guys have accomplished and the ability to go out and do that but I'm sure it's also bittersweet of like hey I also do have to go away for three or four months so how do you how do you handle a little bit of that balance and separation while appreciating the opportunity, but also not being so bummed out that you don't get to hang out with your kids for a couple of months? Because I'm sure there's pros and cons. Well,
0: it's interesting, but so I definitely have a very long-winded answer. Uh, there's back at, back in the old days, like and and you know going through the band and stuff for all the years. There's been so many ups and downs that the band has almost stopped at several different points and stuff. <laughs> Over the last 10 years, we've kind of been able to nurture it back to a pretty, pretty healthy thing where I don't think it's going to go away unless we really screw something up or like one of us dies or something, you know, knock on wood, it's terrifying. So um, we we know what it's like for the band to be on the brink of extinction and not be able to do this as a job. I was doing a band called Straylight Run for seven years and that went away. And I was like, okay, well, I got to work a job. I had met the girl I was going to marry. And I wanted to figure out something. So I called my dad. I was like, Hey dad, uh, call uncle. Kenny, get me that job at Amtrak? Because I'm done with music. I I can't risk this. I need something solid. And thankfully taking back Sunday came calling. Mark O'Connell figured it all out and got me back in the band. And the band wasn't doing great when John and I came back. We thought there'd be more buzz, but the music we were playing was considered lame. Rock music was totally out. There was more of a pop thing kind of going on that was popular, but we worked and we we nursed the thing back to health and we got more people coming out to the shows and stuff because we really cared and we find working with each other so inspiring the four of us in the band we really know how to how to work well with each other and appreciate what everyone brings to the band so that being said every time we get to go out like i feel like i'm not paid for um the shows you know i love playing the shows we have so much fun like i do that for free leaving the wife and kids and being away from home for that time and living in relative discomfort of being on a bus every night, going to the next city, after city, after city, um, sharing a backstage. Man, sometimes there's one bathroom for 20 people. That kind of sucks. <laughs> um, you know. But but you make it work because the shows are always blissful. And we the energy we get from the crowds of people singing along to the songs they've been singing along with for 20 years, it is the dream come true. So we're very lucky. We all know that it could go away if, we don't treat it right. And if, if we're not passionate about it, so we are. And we really believe in the band. So it's interesting. When the band first started, we were so hungry to just be heard. We wanted people to sing along to those songs. We wanted people to learn them. And, and we wanted to make people feel how we felt about bands growing up. with, Like I felt about a band like rancid or, or Green Day or any, any of the, the great music we grew up on. So we started to earn that. And we just had to be on the road all the time. We didn't have any commitments, nothing at home, so we might as well be on the road. As you get older and you get married and you have the kids, sure, I wanna be home, but now I have more incentives to earn more money for them and to provide a nice life and to make the time away mean something. So when I come home, we got something to show for We just took an amazing vacation, went to Grand Cayman, it was absolute bliss on the beach. So I was talking to my son, it's like, hey man, Sometimes I have to go away for long periods of time, and it's hard. It's not. It's not easy for you. It's not easy for mom. It's not easy for your sister. But this is why we don't need a lot of crummy toys that are filling my garage. Like we got to think about that. Let's think about the time together and how we can best spend that. Yeah, we don't need. We don't need crummy toys. Uh, apparently, Dad needs a new computer. So let's <laughs> let's spend the money on things that are important, like, like taking these great vacations together and spending time instead of frivolous things that uh, we don't really need. So it really, really made something click in his brain. And he's six years old and smart as hell. So I was really happy he's making those connections now.
1: That's really cool. I love that. Because that's, uh, I mean, more and more obviously comes with uh, with age, but really just the experiences are just the same thing. You know, I, I try and have as little as possible, but like going out to meals with people, yeah. going in, like just the experiences, the stuff is, you know, it's, it's what it's all about, Sean Cooper. You know what I'm
0: saying? Yeah, yeah. And like, I I go through ads and flows with that like sometimes there's a package showing up from amazon like every other day i'm like what am i doing what i really need this and that's usually after a tour where i feel like i've sacrificed for a while i'm like okay well i need this and then now i after the christmas time stuff everything starts to ease i'm like okay well maybe i just need some vitamins this yeah. one but,
1: well, it's like Kreischer said, we're like dogs we need treats every now and then right yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah at a nice store you come home you get a treat yeah you're in that, you're in that. the uh yeah, have you seen these amazon stores no Not the new one. I just went to a mall that started to try and pick up all this stuff around here. And there's like there's been construction at the mall not far from here. It's like this really nice outdoor mall. And I walk up and there's like the corner that they were working on is now an Amazon store. So I was like, that's weird. So you walk in and there's just a bunch of shit. Just there's like bottles and computers and cameras and t shirts and like gag books and diapers and it's like a real Amazon store, but I was like, wasn't the whole point of Amazon that people didn't want to go to the store? Like the beauty was everything's online and now they spent the money to open up an actual location. It's just, I don't get it. Because you're always going to
0: have to go to the store to get something. So I feel like they're just trying to monopolize everything. So you don't have to go to CVS or your supermarket. You're going to go to the Amazon store. You'll condition yourself to do that.
1: But they didn't have anything practical. It was all uh-huh. random right. crap. Yeah, there was nothing like, oh, I'll come here to get this or I'll come here to get that.
0: So it was strictly a, impulse purchase.
1: Yes, that's what it was. It was like okay. it's like a whole store full of gag gifts and impulse. But for for what they had, which was a really nice second story corner lot in an outdoor mall, I can't see that being a good business move. I don't know if maybe they're testing it or something, but it just seems like the exact opposite of the whole point of why they opened it.
0: It it seems like there's a, they have to have the science behind it. So maybe that's what they realize. People will just stop in a store and buy random crap for the novelty and that'll pay the rent. I don't know. That is or, true.
1: You shouldn't be I mean, questioning their business decisions. They've been way better than me. So. With,
0: with with all the tax breaks and stuff, maybe they need to know, wash some money off. Of that.
1: That's a good point. No, the money. Yeah. Maybe they're having cockfights in the basement, and it's just a front. Oh man, that'd be fun. It could be good. It could be good. So, on the music side, yes, I remember being in first grade, and you played the piano. You played the saxophone, and then I don't really remember how you wound up playing the bass, but I know you've always been a musical guy. So was there any other instruments you played and how did the, how did that transition into you picking the bass and sticking with the bass?
0: Well, I bought a guitar with my first community money. (laughs) I bought a guitar and a little amp and I was really bad at it. Then you got a guitar and were really good at it. I was like, well, I can't do that. So I'm going to do the easier thing. I'm going to get a bass. So that's how we wound up there. It was just easier.
1: Oh, that's all right. So yeah, kind of fell into place. Yeah. yeah do you still play uh piano or saxophone or are you mostly just playing the bass all day
0: uh, saxophone is really annoying to play so i have one but I, I don't play it um like i'll play i'll play keyboard on some stuff if i'm doing some writing and recording and add some parts in there and i'll play guitar all the time like i'll just grab an acoustic and play nice. it's, you know an hour or so here and there whatever and all in terms of like writing and thinking of new songs and stuff but um yeah, base, base is the main deal. It's what I connect with. Like, it, it just felt right from like the first second I picked it up. I was 12 years old. I was like, this, I, I don't know. There's something about this. It's different, and it's me.
1: The A Game Podcast is sponsored by Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you're looking for competitive rates and terms for your real estate investments, you have found the right place. Have credit or full doc issues? No problem. Nationwide Business Capital Group has access to over 3,100 different investor friendly loan programs. In all 50 states to fit all your lending needs, from residential deals, multifamily, fix and flips, rentals, commercial buildings, financing and refinancing, among many others, they have options for absolutely everyone. Nationwide business capital groups' most popular loans vary from state of income to hard money loans, bank financing, bridge loans, lines of credit or even non-recourse loan programs for financing as well as refinancing. No matter what the situation, from tons of experience to beginners or stellar credit to investors with past bankruptcies or foreclosures, Nationwide Business Capital Group is one of the most creative financing companies out there and will work around the clock to get your deals funded. Call and text Marianne today at 513-638-3654 or email morse at nationwidebcg.com to discuss your options. Mention the A-game podcast to receive top priority for all of your funding needs. Pick up the phone and find out what makes Nationwide Business Capital Group different from all the rest, especially in these hard times. If you are looking for a lender who's still lending, still getting deals done, Nationwide Business Capital Group should be your first stop. Now, you always, um, I remember you were the first guy to actually pick up the bass. And when we would be playing songs, you would actually play a, like bass lines instead of just basically mimicking the guitar chords. I remember oh. I I think the first song I remember you doing it to, it might have been a a band with you and Mark and Billy Enoch. And there was a bunch of us at Grand Sound Studios Uh with that Creepo Rick. And then uh, we walked in and we started playing um, uh, the Nirvana song, uh, Lounge Act. And you started. And Billy was like, whoa. I was like, that's awesome. Like, that was the first time that I was like, that's a guy who actually understands how to play his instrument. Well,
0: uh, you know, I'm a nerd with anything I do, so I really studied it. Like, I was listening to a lot, like, what Paul McCartney was doing on the bass and what Chris Navaselic was doing with Nirvana and Mike Durant with Green Day. Like, I remember you got me a cassette with Longview on it. That was, like, the first walking bass line I'd ever heard. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then Green Day was, like, the most popular band a month later. So he turned me on to that. Like, and I couldn't believe how. I was like, who's this band, Green Day? And then they <laughs> were everywhere. That's crazy. You like, your finger on the pulse.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm a talent scout. Oh yeah, Who knew, who knew? So with uh, the stuff that you listen to now, so you listen to, we're talking about playing with Green Day, playing with Rancid. Is it weird now to be in those circles and on those stages with a lot of the bands that you grew up with? Like I remember I was hanging out with you and Mark somewhere and there was another guy there. I think his name, I forget his name offhand, but he was like, yeah, he's the... The drummer for Rancid now, and then he just kind of like went on stage, and we sat on the side and we watched him play with Rancid. And I was like, man, like if they only un- understood how, like the nights that we had to beg our parents to find an excuse to like get money to take a train into the city to go see Rancid play with like Bouncing Souls and Green Day, sure. and like fast forward. And um, you know, I think about my brother a lot. That he's like, yeah, all the guys that I had the posters on my wall, yeah. to be one of my friends later on, and I'm playing in bands with Biohazard, so I've seen. A lot of the bands that I just thought were good bands, or some of them that I even didn't think that were that good. That you guys usually just play with, and we would just kind of hang around with. That turned into these huge bands, like you know, my Chemical Romance. And yeah. then I remember being watching you guys play, and then right after you got off, we went back on stage, and like all of a sudden, the guy from Offspring and freaking Dave Grohl are there, and I'm like, it's the, it's freaking Dave Grohl. And Mark was like, all right, let's look at something to eat, and I was like, well, like <laughs> it seems so like desensitized to all of it. But um, is it is it a little bit trippy to remember that when you were young? you got a cassette of Green Day and then all of a sudden you're like playing at a festival they're playing at or is this strange?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, there was this one time I was in our, the same conversation as Matt Freeman, the bass player from Rancid. And I didn't say hello because I was kind of weary from the travel and stuff and I knew I was just being weird and I like I couldn't say a proper hello. So we were in the same conversation, same circle. I couldn't just be like, yo man, I'm a really big fan. But we like had a, a guy who had done merch for us was doing merch for rancid and i could have been like yo man could you, could you introduce me and i just like couldn't do it and i just kind like, of walked off and went to went to my dressing room This in uh, montreal some festival but yeah it's definitely super trippy but it, it's very exciting but you know especially guys like that who came from like an underground scene i feel like they've all had those moments too whether it was like meeting joe strummer the clash or the rancid guys so i feel like it wouldn't be that weird like i feel like anyone that has been doing music long enough has been a fan of someone and been in the same room so i like it I think it's a a pretty normal thing to happen.
1: So give me a a story of you before you learn that lesson too much. Maybe being a creepo or doing something funny to somebody that you looked up to that you didn't really play. It's so cool. Maybe not creepy, but maybe not so cool. And then give me a funny story of something a fan did to you that they did it in return that was like a a crazy fan or inappropriate fan or just a funny, goofy, had too much to drink, overstayed their welcome. There's got to be some of those.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I don't think I don't think I've weirded too many people out.
1: Which I scared a lot of people that would disagree.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <just> celebrities, celebrities. <laughs> I, regular people, definitely <laughs> especially girls in my early twenties. But uh but yeah, as far as it goes with like I, I would just not say anything. Um I got really excited, I met Talia Shire. Uh Adrian Balboa. Nice, and that was that was really super awesome she was like the first huge celebrity i met we were on tour with this band rooney her son was the singer so we played this big show in la um it was my old band's trailhead run opening up and i i was pretty friendly with the the singer robert i was like hey dude can i meet your mom <laughs> it's like yeah man come on over and super friendly we took a picture together i had it on one of those um instant cameras you know where you gotta wind the wheel and stuff oh it's fun. So, so that was really awesome, but I was just cool, and I thanked her for meeting her, and I said I loved her in The Godfather and Rocky, and you know, it was nice being on tour with your son.
1: Did you when, tell her about the uh, stand-up Matt did about her? No, no, this is this is <laughs> a long time before
0: any of that. <laughs> I know, I know, he's got his problems with Adrian, especially uh, in Rocky Four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think I think that's he's got Sly Stallone to blame for that. That's a good point. Yeah, that's true too. He wrote it right.
1: So what's something funny somebody's done to you?
0: I'm a bass player. No one, no one really does, does much to me. Like That's not true. I've
1: seen people chase you and mark down a Penn Station late at night at the train station.
0: Yeah, like, you know, people, people are just like, hey, I know who you are. Oh, this, this is crazy. So we, we just got back from that vacation that we went on. And um, oddly enough, our first flight got canceled. Because a flight attendant had bumped her head. I'm not going to say the airline, but it seemed like very shady business practice. There were only 19 people on this flight to Grand Cayman from JFK on a Monday morning. Bizarre. So they put us on a different airline, got to clear security again, got to recheck a bag, all this. Have a four hour layover in Miami. There were 10 of us of the 19 that were on the first flight out. We all ended up kind of like sitting together and chatting a little bit. And like starting to get to know each other. Oh, how are we going to handle this? What are we going to do? So, how are we going to handle the Miami airport? I guess we got to go out again and go through security when we get to the international terminal. Whatever. Okay. So we managed to do all that. It's about a two hours before our flight. Now we clear security. We're sitting by the gate. This girl who is one of the ten passengers on this first flight comes over to me and she's like, "You're Sean from Taking Back Sunday, right?" I'm like, "Uh, "Yeah. What's up?" It's like. Listen, I'm a huge fan We come to all your holiday shows in New Jersey. We saw you at the PNC Center when you're on tour with Coheed and Cambria. We saw your son come up and play with you guys. Like, I can't believe that's like you guys sitting right here. I was like, that's crazy. Out of all like the small world kind of things, out of 19 people on the first flight, 10 people on the second flight, this couple knew who I was, the bass player of this band who's been around for a while, but it's not like we're on MTV all the time or, I mean, it MTV a thing. MTV. And, uh, <laughs> so so it was amazing. So she's like, hey, would you mind you would you mind signing a napkin for me? So I signed a napkin for them. We took a little picture together and they were all super sweet, but I'll probably see them. They like come to the meet and greets. We do a meet and greet for charity and stuff over the holidays. So she's like, well, we'll see you in December. You know, have a good vacation. That's and cool. Then, uh, we were actually supposed to be on the same flight back. But I rebooked on a different airline because I'm like, I'm not dealing with this. If I get stuck or anything, like, I'm <laughs> going to go with a more tried and true airline. So unfortunately, I didn't see them again. But hopefully, I'll see them in December when we're back in Jersey. Did but, you uh, your
1: flight the big time them, tell the truth?
0: I did. I did. did. I, was
1: like, I had a no. feeling.
0: <laughs> but no, they, were, they couldn't have been cooler. And it was, it was a really awesome thing that made a horrible time much better. Because the you know the kids were up since five in the morning. We didn't get on the flight till our final flight till like seven o'clock at night. So they had a long day, and uh, it was it was pretty terrible. But that little moment definitely made things better. I was like, that's pretty cool, and it made my kids think I'm cooler.
1: That's cool. That's awesome. And that's you know again I'm, I think there's always a a nice way to be friendly and acknowledge like hey I'm a fan of what you've done and and not like overstay your welcome or be weird like you know, there's, there's probably that balance that it's nice to be, you know, notarized for, hey, hey, I'm a fan, I like your band, I like your work, and then, okay, have a great trip. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just cut it off like that. So and that's she, you know that fine line and that boundary.
0: That's definitely one of the, the bonuses of being the bass player. By the time they get to that level of knowing the band, like, you, you gotta really care about the band. Like, it's not, like with John and Adam, who do the singing, they get a lot more weird stuff. I remember John met some dude who had, a, like, a poster of John, on his wall or something. And he's like, yeah, the poster of you really, uh, really turns my girl on. <laughs> he's like, ugh, dude, like too much info, man. I'm, I'm glad, I guess, but.
1: Eh. Look, I said that to him. I didn't think he was going to repeat it to you. <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. Sure. <gasps> Thanks, John. This is why you never text me back. Jesus. That's it. That's it. I'm the worst for text turner ever.
0: Ever. Oh, it's his birthday today too. Along it's with his- your brother. They share a day.
1: Oh, I have to text him. I, I'm I'm surprised. They didn't know it's because he didn't have a Twitter campaign <laughs> <laughs> his, his birthday this year. But I'll text I'll text him, and he'll tell me to go fuck myself. So yeah, I
0: hope I hope he gets it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm um, sorry for them.
1: Yeah, he it was all right. I told you, Matt, Mac called my brother. Yeah, I'm I'm happy for him. It's uh, yeah. It's good. So I was going to say I'm I'm happy to see good people do do well. So my brother's leaving for tour. That's why we all have already been home by the time. This airs, but um, I'm excited for him going on tour. And like, uh, you know, he posted recently that he went on an audition and people are texting me like, hey, did he get it? And when I tell him yes, they're like, that's great. Like people are happy for him. So obviously, again, it's almost all jujitsu guys, because I feel like people, like he said, celebrate each other's wins a lot. So for you you know and i know it comes with age and it comes with like being a little bit comfortable and but when you guys first started going out and i i loved the fact that i would see you guys in florida and you would play for i remember it was like one of the first like tours you guys went on i think it was maybe victory and you were playing sure. for like six or seven people and the energy in the show was awesome like adam like gave me like a high five and was like jumping all over the place and putting just as much energy as i've seen you guys put on playing in front of thousands and thousands, and thousands of thousands of people and i always think like that's what's gonna make them amazing is that no matter if there's one person or 100,000 people, every show they're giving those fans like that experience. And that's the kind of thing that's gonna take them going to the next level and really keep that fan base and show that appreciation. And I think that's really cool, but I'm sure there's also people, again, probably not so much now, but somewhere in that probably mark where you started to get bigger and you started to get some notoriety and people started to see you guys were doing well that there was probably people in your life that you thought were your friends that started showing jealousy and, you know, being haters or, you know, I, again, now social media is a lot more prevalent. It probably is a little easier because you're at a place in life that you have thicker skin. But I can't imagine trying to come up with something like that now with social media and having people just have their shitty useless opinions that people have never picked up an instrument the same way they do it to all our fighter friends, like the people talking shit about sure. Alan And I was like, you didn't even watch. You don't even know what you're talking about. like yeah. so. How do you um? How did you did did you deal with a lot of that coming up, and how did you handle it and keep yourself from being you know upset or getting yourself down and just kind of keep your eye on the prize? Well, there was a small contingent
0: of bands that were very anti Taking Back Sunday. Uh, there were people that didn't like Adam. There were people that didn't like Eddie, um, who really tried their best to hold the band back. There were certain labels that wouldn't sign us at, in the very beginning because other bands had said horrible things about us that weren't true and it worked out incredibly well for us. Um, If we didn't sign to victory records when we did, if we signed to any other label, things wouldn't have worked out in, 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 and I don't think I'd be sitting here talking about it. Um, It, it all really worked in our favor. So it's like kind of interesting, looking back, like none of those guys are really around anymore who, who had so many bad things to say. And well, I guess they're insecure for a reason. And uh, they, they didn't have what it took to, to stick it out and tough it out or, or have the chemistry that we did. And I guess they felt threatened, maybe. Maybe they really just disliked us or whatever. But um, they tried their best to hold us back. It didn't work. And we're still going strong. So I'm kind of grateful for having that adversity because that was another thing that bonded us together. Like all these bands are getting signed and we're not. So in the beginning, it was very difficult. And then later on, realizing that knowing that people were doing their best to hold us back. It was so much motivation to be like, you know, screw you guys. We're gonna we're gonna keep pushing through, and that like fire is still kind of like in me. Like, hey, I'm gonna I'm I'm around 20 years doing this thing is my only job. You know, what are you? What are you doing? You know, and uh, so yeah, and and anytime you put out something, it's very easy to get drawn into the negative stuff, the negative YouTube comments if you put out a new song or whatever. So I just I I, I used to scour the internet looking for anything. <laughs> And I would drive myself nuts in the last like five, six years. I'm like, I can't, I'm, I'm done. You know, and again, being the bass player is very nice. My Twitter feed doesn't get clogged with all the people hating. It's usually just really nice things. So uh, it's worked out very well. And I think my personality led to bass playing where you're, you're a lot more anonymous, which I really appreciate. So um, yeah, so I don't want to hear that because it doesn't mean anything. And we, we don't change what we do because of what anyone tells us. When the band started, rap rock was popular. We would have sounded like Limp Bizkit if we wanted to just make money at it. We wanted to do something we were passionate about, something we believed in. And that ethic has carried us through all this time. So we follow our gut and the music we like and, and the music we want to make. And so any of those voices are, are nonsense, even the good ones, because you don't want to be like, oh, well, let's rewrite that song. I really like that one. Let's try and do that again. That's not going to work either. So um, we just keep pushing forward with what we, we know and... Uh, Thankfully, with, with this amount of time in the game and, and this amount of age too, then I, I know Adam and John definitely get more of it. But but the hate seems to have subsided, and I'm not looking at the places where it would reside anyway.
1: That's very well said. I, I like that. Um, and that kind of I know you've told me different variations of that story. But even like you know, I was talking to Quinta about it, and he was like, you know, I, what I need to do is I need to stop giving so much attention to the people who post negative things about me and give the attention to the people that are posting the positive things because they tend to kind of blow past all the, the compliments and yeah. then go after and give all the the focus and the energy on the negative and I think it's exactly like you said you just don't even really pay attention to it one way or another but what I think is cool with with your band is there's been a very few times but maybe once or twice over the last couple of years I caught somebody saying something negative on social media mm-hmm. and like I immediately get like defensive if I hear yeah. somebody doing anything like saying anything about like you or Mark or like yeah. Matt or Al or anything like uh-huh. I've been on like 15 sites today, like. Yeah. defending the the, the submission on the ground fight last night but before i could even write anything on it there was like 200 comments from other fans just ripping that person yeah. up like they're wrong they said this did you say that so it was really cool that like it, it, anybody watching it that might have wanted to like try and feed that fire or spread that negativity wouldn't have dared because they saw this other person get assassinated by all your fans for saying shit that wasn't true you know yeah and, and it's such a weird
0: thing, like that there's this contingent of people, and I think it's very small that the troll to look for the negative attention, and like that I, it doesn't compute with me. Why would you insult someone so people insult you back like you're that lonely like who who are you not getting from like did your dad not give you attention your mom like you need <laughs> a hug like what's going on why Why do you feel the need to do this and take people down a peg? you feel that lousy? like was your boss meeting you at work today like so you need to i uh, i just i don't I don't understand it.
1: Yeah. There's uh it, it's weird that there's, there's one guy who continually writes negative things on my YouTube and yeah. it's, it's all like really mean stuff. Like he definitely knows me but yeah. he's not using his real name. So I, at first I'm like, I'm going to respond. And I was like, well, no, cause that's what he wanted. Like I'll block. Yeah. I'm like, well, no. So like, I don't really know what to do. So I was like, I just got to ignore it. It's the yeah. only way to like, if you ignore it enough, it'll go away. So yeah. But, um, but you actually pointed out to me, cause I was saying how sometimes when I'm, like teaching a real estate class or I'm doing some type of public speaking, I'll be looking around the room and there'll be people like laughing at my jokes and taking and looking like they're having a great time. But there's always one guy in there that's kind of like, uh, and I can't not focus on him. I'm like, how do I make this guy laugh? Like, I don't care that 99 people are happy. The one guy, and then I have to like remind myself, I'm like, this is what Sean said. He said like when he's sitting there and he's playing bass and he's looking at a crowd, he's not looking at the one guy who's in a fight with his girlfriend. He's looking at all the other people singing, dancing and having a great time and focusing on that. And I thought that that was very, very wise and something that I didn't realize you probably do with the same thing times a hundred. But I just never thought that you guys could actually see that detailed into the crowd because from where we are, you know, we're on the floor. It just looks like a, a slosh of just, you know, scrambled faces. But you guys probably have a really good view of like what everybody's doing and singing and feeling and thinking and yeah, and, and
0: sometimes you see you see, you see see both. Sometimes you see the dude that's there with his girl who's totally stoked to be there, and he hates your band or vice versa. The <laughs> dude is totally stoked, and the girl's like, what are these idiots doing? Like, this is so loud, and this is so annoying. I don't want to go home. But maybe the guy's sitting with his arms closed. Maybe he's got diarrhea, and he's just holding it together to get the hell out of there, you know? Yeah. You don't know what's going on in a person's mind or in a person's day, and maybe he's just taking an in information. Like, sometimes there are people, like, from from all different walks of life, like, they're their happy face is stoic. Like they don't express emotion like other people. And like maybe music or the real estate seminar, like this is something that's connecting with them. So like sometimes it's really hard to read because there are people that are just different. Yeah. That, that definitely happened like at one of our shows and uh, he was called out on it. And he's just like, dude, I love your band. He he talked to, to one of our guys later like, hey, I like I wasn't being a dick. Like I just, I don't really show my emotions but i was having the time of my life like i love this record i love that record so it was just one of those weird things like okay take a minute like don't take it so personal
1: yeah well probably also radiates from what you're feeling as well it's like reading a text message and it's like yeah. you know somebody texts you what's up and you're like what's up the fuck this guy's problem and you're like oh no i'm in the bad mood i read it wrong you're like yeah
0: yeah and i mean we all go on stage out of some sort of insecurity that needs to i mean I, I know for myself like i need the validation of two thousand people screaming a lot of songs every night like i don't know why exactly but that validation is so wonderful it makes me feel good so i can point out that one phase and i'm like why 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 but that's just insecure me and i try to get better with that and more secure as time goes
1: on how crazy does it feel i mean i still after 20 years of watching you guys play the songs when everybody stops and just sings along to, you know, come from the team or, or yeah. whatever. Uh, like just f- seeing the lights come on and that many people sing your songs back to you like that gives me like goosebumps every single time. Still, so that must be the most amazing feeling being that it's your song.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. Because I remember right in the time my parents' basement or in Mark's basement, like from very humble beginnings and hoping that one day someone would sing along to it. And then all this time later, it's a a lot of people all around the world. So I get brought back to Baldwin and Rockville Center. Like I'm there, like, and and how did that become this? And I still can't make sense of it.
1: I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So, If people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com and you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level there's options for that to set some stuff up so please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy to sell or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities that is the place to go that is the best way to start making money and learning the process that's amazing and i think it's a uh, you know something to be said for for you and for mark and for everybody in general like the the fact that you are the same person always no matter what's going on like you like you were saying you never changed your music style for what was the popular style you guys always Stuck to what you wanted to do, and you didn't try to adapt because the people that did kind of disappeared. I feel like personally, you and Mark are the same thing that anybody who meets you on a plane, at jujitsu, at a restaurant, at a bar, with your kid, or backstage at a show, you're going to get the same experience. Because for the most part, you know, you guys are all the same. So. You know, and, and I think that's cool. And I, I, I really find something soothing about that. And uh, I didn't really put it all together, but uh, the same way when Jim Norton was just on Rogan's podcast and he was talking about Matt, and he was like, "Dude." You were—that's the guy. Like that's always the guy you're getting. And I tell people the same thing they're like Matt Sarah really like I'm like exactly what you see. Five in the morning, five in the afternoon, Christmas, New Year's, like he's all that energy. All that's him, you know. And and I think that's cool. And I think people love that in an area where everybody's trying to portray only the the highlights or a certain lifestyle or or you know show the parts of the movie that they want to show of their life on social media. Having people that are always kind of just like level and you know what you're getting. I think it's yeah. very nice. I think it's pretty awesome and I'm sure your fans appreciate that.
0: and I think that's like real realizing real. Like that's why I've been training with Matt for twelve years, whatever, you know? Real guy. And I, I try to be a real guy too at all times. Like so there's no put on it. Like I just I don't know what that is anyway. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't know how to fake it. And uh, so I feel like I'm just attracted to people that are are similar. And if I sense that in someone, we're not going to hang out, we're not going to be friends, we're not going to spend time together. It just, it's not appealing to me. But if my bullshit detector goes off, like I'm not wasting my time, and I'm not going to waste your time thinking that there's anything there. So it's it's worked out
1: well. Did you hear the story? Uh, Henzo was telling about him with the homeless guy outside of the gym on Matt's podcast this week.
0: No, no, I didn't hear it. I I saw an Instagram video where he gave some 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 woman some money or something.
1: Well, I, I, And I might be butchering, butchering the story a little bit, but like the paraphrasing of it was there was, he was like eating a muffin and dropped it on the street in New York. And like he's in the Midtown, so that street's fucking filthy. Yeah. So he, he went to go eat it and he was like, five second rule. And some homeless guy was like, no, 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 you can't eat that. and fell on the floor here. And some homeless guy took his muffin and like broke it in half and held it over to Henzo. And he was like, dude, the guy was handing me the muffin and his nails were black and his hand was filthy. He's like, the hand was definitely dirtier than the street. He's yeah. like, but the guy is sharing his food with me he's like so I took it and then I sat down with him and we were telling jokes and I had my arm around him, and I was hugging him and it's like a homeless guy in 34th Street, you know and he said black on black car pulls up and Guy Ritchie gets out of the back and he's like man you amaze me and he's like why he's like look you're on the floor like with the homeless guy you're hugging him you're sharing food with him and he's like oh what you thought the vip treatment was only for you <laughs> <No."> <laughs> awesome. he's like I know you do that to everybody he's like that's why you're who you are and yeah. I was telling like Nicole that story but I feel like that's it's very similar with Matt. Like you just said, like if you're getting the wrong energy, like Matt doesn't care who you are or what you have. It's you know, is he getting that sense that you're a cool person and like, yeah. are you his type of people? And if not, he's gonna know very quick and he's just gonna separate himself from that. And um, you know, yeah. I feel like that's probably why you two get along very well because you start to sense that in other people. And you know, like like he says, water finds its own level. And yeah, really cool thing. You know, and like you said with the the fanning out, everybody that's been in that position. I just saw Conor McGregor post that picture when he. Got a picture with chuck liddell and like now there's people that are like oh my god conor mcgregor so i do think that there's something to be said for that and on the music side it's probably similar to the jiu-jitsu side like i don't feel the need to do that to guys that we meet that are fighters or jiu-jitsu guys but yeah. i always want to acknowledge the respect because i know like how hard they've trained for those fights or what went into getting a brown belt or a black belt or things like that and i assume similar with the music you know you see somebody in a band like My Chemical Romance or, or Grand or, or Foo Fighters or whoever you meet. And you know from being in that industry that they didn't get lucky. They toured for no people. They got shit thrown at them. They got people telling them they weren't going to get record, you know, but they got to where they were because they put the time and they put the work in. And as you're doing the same thing, I'm sure there's always that mutual respect for somebody that hits that level of success. Yeah,
0: definitely. Like, I, I definitely think there, there can be like sorts of jealousy and stuff. But the same thing, like those My Chem guys, like they're friends forever met them in two thousand three, I guess. So we have we have the same booking agent. Had have still like Galley? Yeah, yeah.
1: Gally. Gally plucked on the jelly with him one day.
0: Yeah, dude. (laughs) He's the best. But yeah, he like plucked them from obscurity. Like he just he knew he saw a thing. We put them on like the first major headline tour we ever did. And he's like, dude, you gotta come out, you gotta check out this band, you gotta check out this band. And I did. I was like, okay, they're cool. And then a year later, massive I'm not okay comes out. I was like, holy shit, these guys are incredible. They they wanted it and they were going out and earning it every single night. So all the success they had, and even they picked a great time to go away. They went away, but now they're coming back for what I think are the right reasons. And you know it's going to be the biggest thing in the world. Out of all these reunions and stuff that are going on this year, Rage Against Machine, like a whole bunch of other things. Like I'm I'm most excited for them, and I I think they really love it. So I think they're they're in for a real treat. And I think those guys are brothers, just like the uh, I am with the Taking Back Sunday guys. So definitely kindred spirits. So I think it, it's really cool to see that.
1: But what types of relationships are you are you finding a difference at all, or you know um, connections for different reasons, I guess, if you will? So, for instance, Billy Billy Gratz today biohazard Billy Power Flow Billy. Mm-hmm. He um I was talking to him a little bit about it, and when when I was really he's he's the big reason I got into jujitsu, and I would talk to him a little bit about it when I would go out in California or when you guys took uh, my brother's band Suicide City out. Mm-hmm. He was like, man, he's like some of the he's like I have great friends in in music i've been touring for 30 something years yeah he's like but like the friends that i've kept no matter what have always been my jiu friends he's like that's like the people that i made family relationships with it there was no ego so he's like sometimes guys go out in bands and maybe one guy doesn't want to carry the equipment the other guy's always carrying the equipment one guy's mad because the other one's banging all the girls and he you know, like there's yeah. with the weird little insecurities and things and, and resentment and and just stuff with ego in the bands where he was like at jiu-jitsu or at Muay Thai or at MMA, at gyms like that, he's like, everybody only gets as far as the work they put in. He's like, so you always know, like there is no one person carrying it. Like if you're there and you're training every day, you're going to get better. And when you get tapped by somebody, you've been there longer then you go. That dude's been here twice a day, every day for the last two and a half years. Like awesome for him. Like show yeah. me how you did that. And there's, it's more of that camaraderie. And, and that's something that my brother I think has found. So what what do you see as far as any type of difference? Because I know you have a lot of really close friends now from Sarah Jiu Jitsu, from late Ray Longos, and, and definitely I'm sure from years and years in the music scene. Sure. Well,
0: like with the music thing, when I, I think the music scene can reward assholes, you know. <laughs> like I think I think people allow people because they they find them to be a great talent or something. They they kind of cater to that to that diva kind of thing like a mariah carey thing or driver driving around for an hour so she does her makeup or something like there's some weird story before she went in like a shoe store like so there there's a lot of that that i think happens more in the music industry and in the fight industry you know if you're a diva you're gonna get punched in the face <laughs> so i think people try and avoid that at all costs so that's just being a nice guy or something that that helps but i think there's something about just the the physical confrontation like when you're constantly involved in that because i remember how it was and how foreign it felt when i first started training to now like i'm definitely a more um more like touchy-feely guy like wrapping my arm around my friends and stuff you know like it just it's so much i'm so
1: much more at ease but you're yeah you're you're getting a lot more comfortable of uh, being touchy-feely and being kind of comfortable in your skin with uh, some of your your day-to-day friends i suppose
0: yeah so i think especially people that train together you you've broken down that wall already so you're comfortable just being around each other and you're tapping each other out and stuff. So I think, um, you're, you're just more in tune with that. And it takes a lot of the BS out of the way. Whereas like a music thing, it, it there's a lot of different levels of like, okay, I want to be super famous. I want to be super rich. I want to be this. I want to be that. And sometimes you feel like you got to step on someone's head to get to the next level, but training, you got to train, you got to get on the mats. You got to do the thing if you're going to get better with, with the music's more subjective.
1: Yeah, I guess that definitely makes sense. You know, it's, um, it's cool, too, to see the, you know, the guys like I remember when Jason Row started and he was like a white belt. And then you you watch him every day on that medicine ball, just drilling, drilling, yeah. drilling, drilling, drilling. And then when he gets that good, you're like, well, yeah, he's he put the time and he put the energy in. Like, I'm not mad that I'm not as good as him because I didn't put the energy and the effort and the time in that he did. Like he deserves that because he worked for that. You know, that's something to be said for it. people want to be born on third. Sometimes they don't, don't see like the all the work that it took to get around those bases.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing too. There, with music, there's so much behind the scenes thing. Or like a label puts a whole lot of money behind someone, and they they shoot them to the moon and stuff. So there's there's that end of it too, where sometimes it isn't fair. Sometimes you're not getting the attention for whatever reason. Sometimes people just play favorites and stuff. So sometimes people are making a lot more money than you because someone else believed in them a little bit more. But to me, it's like, will they stand the test of time? Like, so I don't really care if you're going to be around ten years. Good for you. You know, you've you've earned that. So I feel like that's where the, that, that correlation works out. Like you, the time on the mats versus the time in the, in the business and, and working. Um, that's what's impressive. So it seems like a guy like Jason Rao, I was training a lot longer then, but then I take a two-month break and, then, you know, I'm a hobbyist. I go two or three times a week and I'm like, oh my God, I've trained my butt off. <laughs> he's there every time I've been there. Plus he's there three times a day. He's putting in more hours in a week than I am in six months. Yeah. So, you know, you got to respect
1: that. That's awesome. So on the jujitsu side, which is obviously one of my favorite subjects to discuss is the, I think over the years, I, I mean, the amount of people that have, oh, I want to come box. I want to come train. I want to wrestle. Or, you know, I, I, I got in a thousand street fights, you know, and I was always like, awesome, man. You should come down Monday. You get a free class. Like, see if you like, nobody ever shows up. But and yeah. then six months later, they're drunk at the bar again. Uh-huh. So, Dude, I see why. when I, mean, I see this. I could do that. Oh, you should come down. And they just don't think I was having an excuse. But I remember you were like, Hey, can I come to jujitsu with you on Monday? And I was like, Yeah, and then you just did, and then you just stuck with it. And yeah. I mean, now doobie just joined, but I mean it's awesome. it's super rare. Like my brother, it took I had to sign him up for like three or four gyms before he stuck with it. And now he got the bug. But I mean, three or four people maybe tops in the last now I've been training like what thirteen, fourteen years, have actually like, I'm gonna come down and came down and did it and stuck with it and, and did it. So what like interests you because you kinda I know you've been in martial arts your whole life. Mm-hmm. But you you kind of did it out of nowhere one day. You were just, I didn't know you had any interest in it at all. And then you were just like, can I come down with you? And it made sense when you did, because I remember you always took, um, what was it? Uh, shotokan? Maybe karate.
0: Stuff
1: yeah, like shotokan that. Shotokan, karate. Um, yeah. what attracted you to jujitsu. And, um, you know, talk a little bit about, uh, has that helped you out? And I mean, I've seen a huge difference in you, you know, personally, professionally, confidence, mm-hmm. everything, but I think it kind of teetered along the same time as you were coming up in the band. So, you know, I would always like to attribute your confidence on stage to coming from the confidence from the map, but that's probably me being, you know, partial to Matt Serra and the Jiu Jitsu guys and all that kind of stuff. But talk about um, what got you there and some of the parallels that Jiu Jitsu has helped in your personal professional life.
0: Well, I was a huge professional wrestling fan for a really long time. <laughs> and uh, like I was, had had like learned a little bit about, read on the internet, and stuff in the early days of the internet about catch wrestling. I thought that was really a cool thing. Like oh we can actually like hold people like this and whatever, and then after uh, Monday Night Raw was on, the Ultimate Fighter show would air, so I started watching that with the first season. So I, I didn't really pay too much attention. I didn't really understand the place. I remember Kenny Florian beat Chris Levin with an elbow, and like he's like, oh, but he's barely cut. Like how did he win that? Like I don't I don't understand. So I I, I didn't think it was all that cool. I'm Like, like the rules that don't make much sense. I don't understand what's going on on the ground and then forrest griffin and uh and Steph um bonner. Stephen bonner had that slobber knocker <laughs> as they'd say in professional wrestling and i i couldn't look away i was like this is the most amazing thing i've ever seen and then um then luke Kumo was in season two and i'm like oh well he's the long island guy and i'd seen drago fight in the ufc so i just started getting the bug little by little and then the ultimate fighter season four goes on and matt Sarah is there i'm like okay now I gotta know what this is about. Like, who's a better coach than this guy? He was coaching every guy, including Shoni Carter, who had beat him in the UFC. He's coaching him through his first win. I'm like, this guy is the coolest guy in the world, and I can train with him right down the block. Well, okay. Then you you got in there for about a year, and then I was like, I I knew I was just at the bar. The bar was my hobby, so I'm like, this is this sucks. Like, I, I'm so over this. I was like 26 years old. I'd been at the bar for six years or something. Like, I I need another outlet. I need to 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 do something. I I, like. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't really know how to work out or anything. But I need jujitsu would be cool. And then you brought me in there, and I I was just like, I don't know what this is really. Still, but I'm.
1: All right. So we froze up again. So you were saying, so you got sick of hanging out at the bar. You were watching Good Fighter. Give a shout out to Pete Drago cell, which is there a better yep. guy than Pete Drago cell? Freaking no. warrior. Anybody no. who ever no. is into UFC now that didn't watch any of his fights needs to go back and watch all of Pete Drago cells. Former UFC fights to be thoroughly entertained. Um, Absolutely. So we Sarah and you decided you, uh, after about a year I was going down there and then you froze up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So then, so then you got me in there and then I didn't really understand what was going on, but there was just kind of no looking back for me. I'm like, I, I just, really catered to my nerdy side with where you know how i learned music and stuff and just reading studying up on everything i could read about jiu-jitsu online and, and figure out the way the fight game worked and stuff and uh I, I just started having so much fun and i was getting a hell of work at it and i'd be so sore after every practice like, i could hardly get through the warm-up back then and now like the warm up feels like a joke to me now you know like that's how far i've come like and i'm no athlete and i'm a hobbyist and stuff And now i probably i'm heavier than ever now but it it just improved so many things in my life like you were talking about the confidence and stuff i back then uh, my band stray light run was starting to really fail so i was pretty angry like my dream had come true and then it went away and stuff so i really needed the outlet to just to just get out some of that aggression and stuff and clear my head and i was always so calm on the drive home that became so addictive and that remains there like i'm definitely way more calm and happy when i go in there now too like I get to see a bunch of my friends and, and BS and spend half the time just shooting the shit with my buddies. And then we get to train, get a good sweat on and, and I feel like I've learned something. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a thing that, you know, I haven't been able to stop.
1: Have you, um, how do you get any of that in? Because I know it's probably hard if you go away for two or three months, you don't get to train at all and you come back. I'm sure there's always an adjustment period of like a few weeks for you to get your rolling cardio back up and just the muscle mechanics of what you were working on before you left. It's probably hard. Cause like, you know, I do the same thing, but I try and fit the stuff in, but I know, you know, if somebody jacks up my hand or my neck, I can yeah. still get up there and speak. You need your hands and your tools for your job. So I know you have yeah. to be a lot more careful about where you go and what you do, but how do you keep yourself in like jujitsu mode or, or satisfy that itch when you're touring? Um, you
0: know, I, I've just like, I, I've thought about trying to drop in on places and stuff and it never really works out. So I just try and get on the treadmill try and lift some weights and stuff. Like I've really found that as I get older, lifting weights has helped me tremendously, especially core stuff. Like I I go very light and uh, try and do some high reps and stuff, But, but especially all the, all the core stuff has been so good for keeping my back in shape and my neck. And, and I've gotten so much stronger. Like I, it, be crazy if i had a match with myself from when i first started to now like it, it'd be joke. <laughs> but um yeah so it's all those little things to just keep my body kind of tuned in and stuff and i take breaks when i need it if like, i'm getting sore i'm feeling to injury like i'm just not gonna go because to me now it's about how much time i can put in the game long term i want to be able to do jujitsu with my kids i want to be able to do that when i'm 60 you know that i'm almost 40 so now it's about longevity Picking people that I know are going to be safe roles. I don't care if I bum someone out. Oh, Dude, you're 240 pounds of muscle and you're a lunatic. Like, <laughs> it's not going to work out well for a 160-pound me. you know? like So, uh, you know, and not having the ego about it that way. Or just, again, in a bad position, I'm tapping. I don't, I don't care. Oh, it's only a neck crack. Yeah, I need my neck to work. Yeah. So it's finding that where I used to be uh, way more stubborn with myself, you know? It didn't really have anything to do with anyone else. But I just need to keep myself safe. And that's what's important and and realizing those kind of things instead of like, you know, back when I first started, I was like, you know, maybe I'll take an amateur fight or something if I get really good at this trick. And like two weeks in, I was like, nah, bro, that's not happening. And then I just do it for the love of it. And now it's like, okay, I want to keep my body in shape. I want to keep my mind sharp and I want to keep going. I want to keep learning. Like I got to figure out this leg lock. You know, it's fascinating. It's like getting good at a video game, but I'm really doing it.
1: If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests, and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. it only take a minute. I appreciate it if you guys could take the time. It would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you. That's awesome. And I know you uh, you supplemented well, which I'm hoping to start to do a little bit more of. But that's initially part of how I got into jiu jitsu, I was big into striking. Yeah. And, like, I can't keep getting hit in the head every day. And yeah. my joints are starting to kill me from like the, the bag work every single day. So, yeah. well, today I can go on the ground. Tomorrow I'll do stand up. And it, yeah. it became like a nice thing. And I know you and Teddy, um, we recently trained together maybe about a month or so ago. And you mm-hmm. brought Teddy in. And you guys yeah. did Muay Thai Private with Vinny Bones and Malello. So, anybody yeah. for some private, uh, striking lessons Pete Drago cell, and Vinnie Malello at Sarah BJJ Academy um but how is that now as far as um you know doing that stuff and having Teddy get excited and I've seen you put the mitts on at the house and he's starting to do sure. some stuff and you know how is it seeing him start to fall in love and figure things out and you know being a dad are you are you hoping he gets into jiu or you know is it not really something you want to push Yeah, I kind of don't want to push
0: anything, but like, including music, like, I just want him to find out whatever he wants. But my goal is to expose him to as much stuff as possible. Like, he's had two wrestling seasons under his belt. I try not to push too hard. He doesn't like it. It's a little bit late at night. He doesn't like the separation, but he's only six. So I'm like, if I just let him kind of dabble in this, dabble in that. He was asking me the other day when he can go back to jujitsu. But I see, he's a little bit young. I've seen that in the jujitsu classes, he kind of loses focus after about 45 minutes, and the classes are an hour long. Like so I don't want you really wasting everyone's time with you know, that extra fifteen minutes. Like and so I and I also don't want to push too hard too soon. So we'll see. But yeah, so I feel like that's my job, exposing him to everything, whether it's instruments or martial arts or, or he's great with art. He's great with drawing, he's great with reading. So I'm just trying to give him every different look at life different kinds of music from classical. He's really into the Beatles right now. He was only into punk rock music before. Now he's starting to branch out a little bit. And uh, it, it's really cool to see. So we're going to take our time. But he likes punching stuff. He really likes wrestling me. He shoots a low single on me. He's like, oh, yeah, you're wrestling. And then he's just, anytime he sees me, he's like shooting that low single. I'm like, dude, you love wrestling. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. You do it all the time. So, uh, so we'll see where it goes.
1: That's cool. And it's really nice to watch. I mean, I haven't seen many kids his age that are so comfortable in their skin. And he's been like that for as long as I remember. I remember being at a a party at Jamie's, maybe Jamie's brother Uh or sister's house. And you guys had just recorded Tidal Wave, like a rough version of it. Uh And he came in like kicking over chairs and was like dancing and singing and stuff. And the way he comes down on stage, like it's really cool to watch him be so confident at a young age. I think that's pretty awesome.
0: Well, he's really good at like recognizing his audience. Like when he's at home with his family and stuff, like there's no crazier kid, but at school, you know, he's pretty quiet and reserved in certain times, you know? So like, you saw him in a very comfortable moment there, but and he's not always that comfortable, but he he finds it though. That's cool. Yeah. He's a pretty good judge of character.
1: Just like his daddy.
0: Ah shucks. So I've been
1: friends so long. And and his mommy. His mommy. Can't leave Jamie out, but
0: Yeah.
1: Um yeah, so I'm definitely gonna get Mark O'Connell on here as well. How's he doing? Yeah. Mark doing well? I,
0: I believe he's in Mexico right now. Um, yeah, he came over. He watched the uh the Wilder uh Fury fight. We had a blast. It was so much fun. He and I might have stayed up a little bit too late.
1: <laughs> what a great fight, man. That was uh, no, I meant to actually bring that up to you. So we reminded me when you said earlier of part of the thing that motivated you to go and just kick the music industry's ass was all the people that were trying to hold you back at first, that spite yeah. of it. And then you look at, you know, everybody's retweeting that that uh social media tweet he did two, three years ago when he was a fat bastard and was like, Yeah, Wilder, I'm coming back to kick your ass. And look what he did, man. He came back. I did not think he was winning that fight. Definitely not by knockout. I was way wrong. I thought Wilder was going to catch him early. He, he looked great, man.
0: Yeah, well, it was interesting. Wild, what Wilder was saying in the lead up too, he's like, oh, you know, Fury's coming in a little bit heavier and stuff. Seems like he's changed a lot. And then Wilder came in so heavy. I was like, oh, he's, I think he's projecting, you know? When I went after the land, I was like, "That's really interesting." And uh, we'll see, we'll see where this goes. But Fury just was on his game. I think he barely got hit. He was he was so smooth with that herky jerky weird style. But yeah, he was so slick and just landed with power too. The extra couple pounds he put on, I think, really helped him. And the the blood licking thing was really gross. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's he's a lunatic, and uh, yeah, it was it was really awesome to see. And uh, I can't wait to see him fight again. See what Wilder goes to.
1: Yeah, cool man. There was uh, I was watching did you get to watch Al get robbed on the uh submission underground?
0: Yeah, that was he had that he had that the leg locked up from the back and I I don't know how you stopped that position there when he was like looking looking for the twister and he was looking for the crank and stuff. Uh that that was really, really bizarre. But Parry Perry surprised me. He was okay. super he was very technical. He was looking for good stuff on the ground too. Which was really fun. I thought Al was really dominant in the opening round and stuff, and and looked awesome. So, um, it was. I think it was a great match, and I hope they get the get that fight in the UFC. That'll yeah, be really. When, really he, when
1: he was like big brothering him, I was like, man, if they were allowed to hit right now, Perry would be in so much trouble.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, it's so funny too. Like that, I he's doing that spin move and that's what I do to my kids when I push them on the swing like I'll push them then I'll do a quick spin I'm like ah, I'll do the spin move It's <laughs> so, like I do that to my kids on the swing and he did that to a professional MMA fighter in a yeah. cage grappling match that's pretty awesome
1: I've been I've been working that um that exact thing because like I was just out in California with the 10th planet guys for a while uh-huh. and I really like that back control where you kind of get the grapevine on that bottom leg right there and then you kind of like just the pressure alone like I, I haven't even gotten to the point for the twister on a lot of it because yeah. most Time, just the pressure the guy taps. So when he did it the first time, I was like, oh, that's sick. And then when the guy stopped it, I was like, does he not understand? Like, cause if if the point of that, the way those rules are, is the guy's supposed to escape, he didn't escape. Like and it was yeah. clear that Al actually like fed that leg and took it. And then when he did it a second time, and I was like, dude, you just gave him like 30 seconds of riding time. Like he's definitely gonna get screwed now just because yeah. of that. And then I sent a couple of my friends there that live in the area, and one of them was a promoter. From a bunch of MMA shows and, and uh, striking stuff in, in the Portland area, and he was texting me. and He was like, "Dude, whenever I used to put on shows as a promoter, I would specifically ask the commission to not put that guy on because he always sucked as a ref." And then, he, and then the next couple of matches, he made tons of bad calls. And then when he's letting them wipe down freaking Nicky Rodriguez's back, and then he the, the other shit with the escape. Like, I just, I think he really screwed Al on that man. He didn't know what he was looking at, and Al could have held him both of those rounds even if he yeah. didn't sub. Having, having that leg laced like that and that control, Perry wasn't going to get out of that for two minutes, no way. No, and,
0: and anyone that's been there before, as I have, knows how dominant that position feels when someone's on your back and they have that leg locked you got to do a lot of work to get out of there. So, like, that, that he gave him a freebie. But yeah, it was funny. The commentator said something early on, like when I first tuned in, like, oh, I can tell you a lot of stories about this guy. <laughs> Speaking of the ref, I was like, oh, man, I want to hear the story. He did he did a bad coin flip, I think, in uh, Perry's wife's match. He like dropped the coin and then he did it again, and it was just like it was really, really silly. And like, oh, right, I tell you some stories about this guy. I was like, ah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, so it's it's infuriating to to watch something like that go on when it's just I don't know it makes makes me nuts.
0: Well, it's nice the stakes were low. It's not an MMA fight where no you know no one got hit in the head and stuff. Like Al takes the L in a grappling match. Like who cares? Everyone saw what he could do, and hopefully they marketed a fight so they both get paid a good amount of money to actually find the UFC. And I think Al takes it. So it's awesome.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, I obviously you too, but I can't say enough good things about, you know, ally Quinta, Matt, the Terracera. I can't have Sean Cooper on the neck of Matt and Ray Longo. Those guys have just been really good to us for years and years. And I've made lot uh-huh. of my best friends there. And I, I love the fact that I get to come home and I get to go to Jiu Jitsu and I get to train with my best friend and my brother and like just yeah. hang out with all those guys. It's, it's really cool. It's a, it's a whole environment in itself. And I think it's awesome watching, How people that know you will come up to me and be like, "Hey, your buddy Sean—that's this guy in Taking Back Sunday," right? And I'm like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Man, I didn't even—I didn't even realize that, but I've always been a fan, but I just didn't want to say anything." I was like, "Dude, just go say hi to him; like he's totally normal." And then, for years, people would be like, "Well, I want to go to his show, but I feel stupid asking." And then when we got everybody to come to that show, I I thought it was the coolest thing because in like the what we have like ten or fifteen people there, plus Macaulay Culkin was was
0: there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think there's like at least
1: fourteen, like there's a picture somewhere floating around. But yeah, so yeah but you came like, out, man. Papacho and Marcel and Frida and Hulk and Riley and my, like there was such a diverse yeah. group of people and I think it's cool because just like Jiu Jitsu, like the music brought everybody together and, and uh I was thinking about it because I was talking to Rob Lauf and he was uh he was saying how he trains with Kevin Jane at Monster. Uh uh-huh. like, dude, what's that like? He's like, dude, He's like that guy is awesome. He's like, and the fact that he turned out to—he's like—I didn't even put it together at first, but afterwards, when I found out like who he was, that was just icing. It had nothing to do with it. Like the cool part was how awesome he was, and that oh. was kind of a cool thing to know about him. And I feel like that's what people do with you—they're like, man, that guy Sean's awesome, and then later on, like, holy shit, and he's like this this badass rock star. I'm like, well, yeah, but like that's—he's amazing, Sean Cooper first, after <laughs> exactly. something cool that he also does. So. I appreciate it as always. So what, what's next? You got 20 years into your band. You'll probably be yeah. black belt in the next couple of years. You're you're killing it on the jiu-jitsu side. You're you're being a full-time dad. You got a beautiful family. You got a nice place not far from the beach. Mm-hmm. What's on the agenda for uh for the next couple of years? Professionally, jiu-jitsu-wise, music-wise, Taking Back Sunday? What, what kind of stuff do you guys have going on?
0: Yeah, well, we're going to start writing a new record. we got to get in the same room with these guys. Um, we sent some, some ideas back and forth, so everyone's got some really good stuff I'm excited to get to work on. I think we're going out like first week in March. We're going to uh, go to a secluded spot and hopefully get to work. And uh, I, I, think, I think we're going to record very efficiently, so the record will hopefully take less time than I'm thinking, but we're kind of in no rush. I was talking to uh, Matt Pryor. He things for this band, The Get Up Kids, who are like legends to us and stuff coming up. They were like, one of the first bands in our kind of genre to really make it big and like start touring in a bus and everything. Like, there were bands in our genre and they'd have to work really hard and you're getting paid no money and stuff. You're in a van driving overnight with the trailer. They were the first band to like kind of make it. But I ran into him, we were playing a festival together and uh, it was right before the title of the record was coming out. He's like, man, he's like, you no, have been back in the band like what, six years now? It's like, yeah, yeah, something like that. It's like, and what record is this coming out? He's like, is it your second one back? And I'm like, it's the third. He's like, dude, take a break. (laughs) So, you know, we put out these three records back to back to back every two years. And now we've had this little little lull because we felt like we left off really well with Tidal Wave. Then we had the 20-year anniversary of the band, which we wanted to kind of take time and take a little victory lap and stuff. And give ourselves a little more time to work on the next record. Because I really want the next record to level us up and put us in a place where we can't be knocked down. So, um I'm very confident in that because I know everyone is really passionate about the band, you know, the four of us and we want to put out the best thing possible because this is going to be our eighth record. So it has to be something special and it has to be really good. So we're going to take our time making it the how it should be.
1: That's awesome. And I, I love the rest, last record. You know, it been, you. it's been on replay in my, in my Mini Cooper in New York for forever and ever and ever. I'm so touched. I look forward to everything. Um, you guys can do Riot Fest this year, right? I don't know. Well, hopefully you do Riot Fest. If you do, I'll definitely come on down there. Uh, any any final thoughts, Sean Cooper, for any maybe people listening from Jiu-Jitsu, fans listening from Taking Back Sunday, Teddy listening at home? <laughs>
0: no, thank you. Thank you guys for all listening. And uh, it has been wonderful. It's been my, uh, my pleasure to be on this wild ride.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for uh, sharing a bit of your experience as always. I am hopefully going to get to see you this weekend and hang out. All right. Well, thank you very much, Sean Cooper, ladies and gentlemen.